because of the hope. That's the title of the sermon today, because of the hope. We're doing a sermon series here in the month of July called The Greatest Story. And we're looking at some longer narratives of Scripture. And that phrase, because of the hope, comes from verse 20 of our Scripture passage today. Each week we're choosing a phrase from the text that sounds like the beginning of a story. And we're mixing up the genre of our preaching slightly this month. It's more of a literary style. You'll hear more stories this month, as we heard last week when Gina kicked us off with this sermon series. Wasn't it great hearing her personal testimony? We're trying to weave our stories, the stories of the preacher, with the story of the gospel, with hopes that all of our stories would be woven together as part of the greatest story ever told, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we won't be preaching on every single verse of the text this month, but interweaving these stories. Because of the hope, sounds like the beginning of a story, and it is. Our story, the story we belong to, if we belong to Jesus Christ and his church, is a hopeful story. A story that is told over and over and over again to many generations. It's a hopeful story. What does that mean that it's a hopeful story? I've been thinking about this word hope this past week. Sometimes it helps me understand the meaning of a word if I think about its opposite. Often we think of the opposite of hope as despair. But I'm not so sure that's exactly right. I think maybe the opposite of hope is cynicism. Cynicism is the belief that everybody around you is acting in their own self-interest. And if you begin to really believe that, if you have a cynical worldview or a cynical heart, you believe everybody around you is operating in their own self-interest, you begin believing that the whole world operates that way, that every generation is more selfish than the last. And with a cynical heart, we can begin to write off entire generations of people, or even geographical regions. Have you heard people talk about San Francisco, or the West Coast, or the Generation Z? And they can just kind of write them off cynically as selfish, or not worth telling the story to. But that's not who we are. We are people of hope. We are people who tell a hopeful story with hope that there might be some people somewhere with ears to hear the truth, the belief that we believe, the story that we believe. And so because of the hope, we continue to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's hard for me to think about the word hope without thinking about my beloved alma mater for my undergraduate studies, Hope College. If you've been around me for longer than five minutes, you know that I went to Hope College. I talk about it. I love it. I serve on the board of trustees now. I'm all in. Hope College was founded in the middle of the 19th century by some Dutch immigrants who set sail from the Netherlands over to the New World, and they landed in Holland, Michigan. And they wanted to start a school, a Christian school that would train up young people for the ministry. And they named it Hope College after a verse in the book of Hebrews. I put it on the cover of your program, Hebrews chapter 6, six verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in 
to the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. What does that mean? The inner place where Jesus has gone as a forerunner, that's basically a description of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. There's an acknowledgement that because of sin, we are separated from God the Father. We are outside of his presence because of our sin. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the penalty of our sins. And the curtain between the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God and the people, was torn in two at the moment that he died, giving us access to the Father. In Hebrews 6, 19 says, that act, that finished work on the cross, is our only hope of ever having access to the Father, of living eternal life with God. What Jesus did for us on the cross is our sure and steadfast anchor of hope. If you go to Hope College today, you'll see there's a giant ship's anchor in the middle of campus to remind us of this verse. The school was founded on the hope of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was founded on the gospel. I can just picture these Dutch immigrants coming across from the Netherlands on those ships, facing stormy seas and tempests and high winds. They would know what that was like to be on a ship on the seas. And they would also know what it was like to drop an anchor, a sure and steadfast hope that they could be safe from the storms. And when they came to the New World and they settled in Holland, Michigan, they dropped an anchor there. And they started a school to build a foundation upon that students would learn and grow and share that story, the hopeful story of the gospel. When I was a student at Hope College, I met a man named George W. Bush. It was before he was president of the United States. He was still governor of Texas. And I was worshiping in a church one morning, and he happened to be visiting that same church there in Holland, Michigan. He had recently announced that he was going to be running for president, and he happened to be sitting in the pew right behind mine. So after the service, I whipped around and started a conversation with him. It was a meaningful conversation, and I remember asking him something like, Wow, so you've announced you're going to run for president. This sounds like you're signing up for a pretty wild ride. There's a lot going on in your life. How do you handle all of that? And I remember exactly what he said. He pointed to the wall behind me, the sanctuary wall, where there was a cross hanging a lot like this one. And he said, that right there, that's the anchor for my soul, a sure and steadfast hope. And if I keep that anchor in my life, I'll be able to handle all of it. Now, you might hear that story, and you might think, well, maybe his researchers went ahead, and they knew he was going to be in Holland, Michigan, and this anchor for the soul thing would be a ready answer if a young, wide-eyed Hope College student like me asked him the question. That's what I'm talking about, cynicism. <laughs> I believed him. I have a less cynical view of politicians than apparently everyone else does. I've met a number of them through my life on both sides of the aisle, and I just find them to be normal people trying to navigate a complicated world just like you and just like me. But I thought about George W. Bush's statement to me that morning a number of times over the subsequent years because not long after that conversation, he obviously won the nomination and he uh, won the presidency, but it was a contested election. You remember that? It's really complicated, 2000. Not long after that, 9-11 happened. And I remember praying for him on 9-11. Lord, 
Let that sure and steadfast anchor hold fast, hold true to this man as he navigates this very complicated situation. As far as I can tell, the man still has that anchor for his soul, as all of us have access to. Did you feel a little bit of cynicism when I told that story, perhaps? Is there any cynicism in our hearts? Why, why do we think of things in cynical ways? Well, it's not new, actually. The Apostle Paul found himself in a cynical or at least skeptical world. In our story today, in verse 20, as I mentioned, he says this, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you. He's talking to Jewish leaders in Rome. He is under house arrest. He's probably got a Roman guard standing next to him, keeping him captive. And he's asked to meet with the Jewish leaders in Rome. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Now, it seems to me that what Paul is reminding these Jewish leaders of is the history all those years of hoping. It's like he's saying to these Jewish leaders, do you guys remember how long we hoped for a Messiah to come? It's because of the hope of Israel. What's the hope of Israel? Who is the hope of Israel that he's referring to? It's Jesus. Jesus, the hope of Israel. Paul is standing before these Jewish leaders in a prisoner's chain, saying it's because of the hope of Israel that I wear this chain. Remember Ours is a hopeful story, yet he was facing cynical or maybe skeptical people who didn't believe the story. Verse 22, they, they mention it, that there's people everywhere who are speaking against what they called this sect. This reminds us that even from the very beginning, Christianity was met with skepticism. It was met with cynicism. It was called a sect. People were speaking against it. The Jewish leaders missed the Messiah. The Roman Empire didn't know what to do with it except for to shut it down. There's Paul in his chains. And what Paul referred to as the hope of Israel, Jesus, would become the hope of the whole world. Jesus died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins, but when he walked out of that tomb, when he rose from the dead, he proved that he was who he said he was. And he became the hope of the whole world. And to tell that story, his death, his resurrection, his life, his imminent return, is to tell a hopeful story, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of rejection, even in the face of a cynical world around us. We tell a story of hope that there is someone who paid the penalty of our sins, someone who conquered death, and someone who will come back soon to take us to the Father. Why is such a hopeful story rejected? Why would someone like Jesus, who preached, turn the other cheek, bless those who persecute you, Lay down your life for the sake of others. Why would that message be met with cynicism? Why would it be met with opposition? Well, in a word, it's because of sin. Sin does something to us. It warps our perspective. It dulls our senses. Paul quotes Isaiah to describe this in verse 27 of our reading today. For this people's heart has grown dull. 
With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. You see, this is the great tragedy. That there's a story of hope. There's a story of healing. There's a story of victory over sin and death. Yet sin warps some people's perspective. It closes our eyes. It shuts our ears. It makes our hearts unreceptive to this hopeful story and we react to it with cynicism or even with opposition. Sin does that to us. And we see this in our world today. The fact that there were people coming against Christianity as early as the Apostle Paul reminds us that we actually shouldn't be surprised when the world today still rejects the hopeful story of the gospel. Some of you, I know, have young adult kids who've walked away from the faith. I talked with somebody who comes and worships here every Sunday and he goes home to his spouse and she just rolls her eyes about the fact that he came here again. Neighbors, co-workers, friends, family. Perhaps some of them are those who are described here by Isaiah. Their heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. They don't have the same receptivity to the hopeful story of the gospel that you have. We know these people. We long for their salvation. And maybe sometimes our response to such opposition, our response to such cynicism is to just stop telling the story, is to just be quiet about it, knowing that if we tell them one more time, they're going to roll their eyes again. But you see, that is actually a cynical response too. A hopeful response is to say, I'm going to keep telling the story, the story of hope, the greatest story that's ever told, the true story of Jesus Christ, because someone somewhere might have ears to hear it. And I hope that they will. That's how Paul spent the rest of his days. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. See, Paul had hoped that some people would have ears to hear the story, the true story, the story of hope. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. There's a man who believes the hopeful story. Think about this with me. Paul could have turned cynical in-house arrest, paying his own way, under guard from a Roman guard. He could have sat around all day and said, can you believe these guys? These Jewish leaders, they missed it. The Messiah came and they missed it. Can you believe these Roman leaders? There's so much secularism in the Roman Empire. Ah, just, just let them all fall off into the heart of the sea. Paul could have sat around all day in house arrest for the rest of his life telling that cynical story. But look what he did instead from morning till night. Anybody who was around him, he just kept telling the story over and over and over again. The story of the gospel, the story of hope. He never lost hope. Some people had ears to hear it. Some people had hearts to receive it. And so he just kept telling the story. That's what we do if we are people of hope. 
even until our old age. We never stop. I called Debbie Reynolds this week. She's up in Maine at another home that they have there on an island off the coast of Maine. If you've been around this church for a while, you might know that name, Debbie Reynolds. She's a longtime member of this church, she and her husband, Russ. Debbie's started Bible studies here in Greenwich decades ago. And now that she lives in Maine in the summers, she's been telling me for a few months that she was hoping to start a new Bible study there. But she was feeling a little bit unsure about it because in her phrasing, Maine is a tough nut to crack, she said. (laughs) And she wasn't sure if that culture would even receive an invitation to come to a Bible study with her. So she had me praying about it and I called her this week to see how that was going, and I called her before the first one. The first one was going to be on Thursday night, and she was really hopeful. There were three new people who had moved into that community who said they were going to come, along with a handful of others, and I called her yesterday to see how it went, and she said, Nathan, it was so great. There were nine people there, and one of them, she said, she had them turn to Genesis, and the woman said, I don't even know where Genesis is. Isn't that awesome? Debbie is in her late 80s. She gave me permission to share this story with you all. She's in her late 80s, and look what she's doing. She's a person of hope. She's the person who believes in the story of hope, that there are some people somewhere with ears to hear it, with hearts to receive it. She could have looked at Maine and said, it's a tough nut to crack, it's secular, let it fall into the heart of the sea, forget those people. But she believes the story of hope. So there she is. And we all have the same calling as the Apostle Paul who did this until his dying days. We know the best story. We know the truest story. We know the story of hope. If cynicism has crept into our hearts at all, we need to ask the Lord to extract that from our hearts and give us back the hope of the gospel the hope that some people in our lives will have the ears to hear it. So we just keep telling the story over and over and living it out. So what's your main? What's your tough nut to crack? Who are your people who maybe you've written off or you've lost hope about? May the Holy Spirit reveal to us who those people are. And give us what it says Paul had here in the last verse. All boldness and without hindrance. May the Lord give us boldness and remove the hindrance from us to share this story until the day we die. Amen.